Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today podcast, and we're glad you're joining us. The last few weeks, Brian and I have been talking about motivation and what the difference between motivation and inspiration. And so, Brian, let's start with that. You know, we talked before about the approval that people need almost to the point where they have an approval addiction. We've talked about people that are seeking praise as an indicator that they're being approved of by other people. Then we have talked about how that leads to a self-image that we are trying to project so that we are accepted by other people and approved of by other people, that we are constantly presenting ourselves in a way that may not be our real authentic self. However, it's what we think we need to do to get the approval of others. So, Brian, as we go into this motivation versus inspiration, when I throw those two words out at you, what's the first thing that comes to you as you think about that? And why in the world would you ask you to consider that those two words have a diametrically opposed meaning? Okay. So I'm going to just spill the beans on this one and say that I remember this part from taking your class in high school. And you didn't use the word motivation and inspiration back then. And we kind of touched on this in a previous conversation where we talked about, just like you're saying, being motivated to do things for people or for approval. And that is something we used to call outward motivation or things that give you cause. I do this because I want so-and-so to like me. I do this right. because I want to get an A in the class. And those are outward motivators. Then we used to talk about inward motivators. And we kind of touched on this before, like when you talked about volunteerism and how there's two different kinds of volunteers. There's the one who just does it and expects no acknowledgement or attention or anything in return. And then there's the person who does it for Instagram to be noticed and acknowledged. So one person is operating from a place of internal or inspired purpose and intent. And the other is operating from a place of premeditated outcome on the outside. Like, I don't know the background or the etymology of the word motivation. We've never looked at that. But inspiration, it comes from the word spirit. And I believe you've even mentioned this before. It is the word spirit, which it comes from Latin. And that is having to do with breathing. And, you know, it's where we get our energy from, which is 
kind of an interesting concept related to what drives you. Yes. That's a good place to start because I have gone back and forth in calling it outward motivation or extrinsic motivation versus intrinsic motivation or inward motivation. And inward motivation or intrinsic motivation is really inspiration. So these words kind of all come together, creating the concept of there's a difference. And let's look at the difference. And maybe instead of dicing the words out and their origin, let's look at what the difference is. And I think the biggest thing is when you think about what you should do, or you think about what you must do, what I call the shoulds, oughts, and musts of your life, if that's what's driving you to do things, because I should do it, it's expected of me to do it. These are really extrinsic forces on us from the outside that cause us to do what we do. Where when we're looking at intrinsic motivation or inspiration, it's coming from something inside. It's coming from what we believe, what we value, and the principles or precepts we've decided to live our life by. Versus when we're doing it because of what other people expect, we're really abrogating our own beliefs, values, and principles in allowing the other people's beliefs, values, and principles to control and motivate us. We're doing this because we want their approval, and people approve of you doing things that they do themselves. So we're really operating more on what their beliefs, values, and principles are versus our own. And this comes to us directions from our parents, from our teachers, from our preachers, from our bosses, from our friends, those are all the people in our life that put what we think are expectations on us, and we then function accordingly. And these expectations are very powerful motivators, Brian, and it's because we as an individual give those expectations power because we buy into it versus being driven by an inward force. So a good way to look at this is just to ask yourself the question. When I wake up and I get out of bed, put my feet on the ground, am I thinking now that I'm getting up because I have to? I have an expectation I have to meet, so I have to get up. Or am I getting up because I'm going to be doing something that I'm inspired to do, something that's coming from the inside? and more inwardly motivated. Now, granted, sometimes that inward motivation is to say, well, I need to go to school today and get my A because my A is required for me to get into a professional school of my liking. So you might think that, well, that's really applying to the expectations of others to you because a teacher has an expectation of you to perform, and he's going to indicate how well you perform by giving you a grade at the end. However, when you have decided to sign up for his class, you knew going in that that was the game that was going to be played. You were going to take a body of knowledge. You were going to be expected to report back to him in a way he wanted you to report back to him. And uh, you were going to get a, a grade that was going to stay with you for the rest of your educational life because that gets put on a piece of paper that then is used to evaluate you at a future time. 
for something that you have decided or set a goal on having or doing or being. So we can still conform and perform to the expectations of others because we've kind of gone into an agreement with them that you're going to teach me, I'm going to listen, that's an agreement, and how well you evaluate me is going to be important to me for years to come. So it's a tough one to refine. However, when you're inspired, you're doing it for your own reasons, not for the reasons of others. And that's the clear difference to me between outward motivation and inward motivation or inspiration. How do you feel about that? I feel like that is a long journey because we are set up for a different framework. I guess what I'm trying to say is everything that you talked about is kind of a framework for life. And I think that kind of what you're saying, I guess, is most people aren't really inspired from within to follow that path of meeting the approval of others. It's something that is nurtured. It doesn't come from our nature. And I mean, we've talked about some of these other character qualities and how long it takes to see the difference and to transition from one habit to another. This one seems particularly like a very arduous journey. And I think that we set up our kids for that conformist nature. And anybody who's had to deal with kids will understand what I'm saying. Kids are out of control. By their nature, most kids, I've got boys, you raise boys, they're out of control. Okay? <laughs> Girls are out of control, too. We've got to control our kids because they are, by nature, disruptive, wild, high-energy, inappropriate, indifferent. We've got to model that, and we've got to control them. And so the whole approval-disapproval thing is one of the best things that parents and teachers have come up with over generations of trying to get our kids under control. <laughs> this and is there's true. nothing that is standard operating procedure. And so it's good. We can't have kids being disruptive in a classroom. It doesn't work. We have a system where we've got a teacher who's trying to teach, you know, multiple kids at once. It's not economically feasible to have an adult per kid mentorship situation for a child's entire education. We've got to have a teacher who is teaching a group of children. In order for that system to function, children have to be within the realm of good taste under control. And I yeah, think I good not. teachers have a program where they got recess time, you know, and they break it up. The real challenge here is, I think what you're talking about later on in life, when you have finally figured out, hopefully, how to exercise self-control, what's next? When you've reached a point where, okay, I've figured out how to please my teachers, I figured out how to win approval. You're saying, 
there's another level to transcend. There's another yes. level of fulfillment in doing what comes from within. Yes. The so the would... controls of your childhood are motivators. The whips and carrots that we use to control one another. But then over time, we have to stop trying to control one another and let people be free. And yes. you're saying that inspiration is a component of this process. So how does a person find what inspires them? Okay, that's a great question. And your synopsis of this is right on. Yes, we do respond to the whips and carrots of our parents and teachers. We respond to the accolades and praise and trophies and prizes and special privileges that we get when we behave according to our superiors. And that's all in an attempt to keep order and control and really be able to do the other things that are important, and that's teaching content and information that's going to be important in their adult life. And so I get that. And I think what we're talking about here is when does that change? When you leave the cocoon of the family and you leave the uh, confines of the educational institution and then you go out into the workplace, what are you creating now after that? In your adult life, are you continuing to create the same kind of relationships that you had with your parents and teachers, are you still in an, in relationships that are conforming to the shoulds, oughts, and must of other people? Or have you purposely said, oh, I'm recognizing this is what I'm doing now, and now that I'm an adult, and now that I have some physical autonomy, do I have mental uh, autonomy? And that's really what I'm talking about here is when are you going to separate yourself out from the shots and musts of your past to being a person that then operates under their own intentions, their own convictions, their own beliefs, values, and principles, instead of conforming to the beliefs, values, and principles of others. I think it's always been a tendency as, as we go into an adulthood and we're in our society environment, we are continuing to conform and meet what other people expect of us. That's going back to the self-image again. We're still caught up in approval addiction. We're still looking for accolades and praise. It might be the trophies on the wall. It might be all the placards on the wall. We can then puff out our chest and say, look at me, isn't this wonderful? I am meeting all the benchmarks of what society has determined to be success. I would say that's not success that success as society defines it, but it's not true success, which is an inward feeling that you have, that you're achieving what you want to do, not just responding to the whips and carrots. The whips being the things that happen when we have consequences, the carrots being the trophies and the prizes we get when we do something that people like. So if you're working in an environment and your job is a whip and carrot kind of job, you talked about transition or transcending to a different place. You've not made that transition. And what happens is people will spend their whole life not making that transition. They'll be in a marriage relationship which perpetuates that. They'll be in a boss-employee relationship which perpetuates that. 
They'll be in a friend relationship which perpetuates that. And until you wake up one morning and say, what, is that all there is? Am I just doing what everyone else expects of me? Then you start saying, I'm going to do something different. Because what happens when people get up and say, well, I got to do this and I have to do that. And you look at them and say, why? Well, that's expected of me to do that. Well, who set that up? You set up those expectations and you're the one that has control over them, whether they can continue or not. And that's really what I'm trying to get the listener and the reader of my book, Ride the Yellow and the Journey to Success, to consider that there's other motivations, other reasons that we need to do things as we go into this, we're going to transcend to a place of inspiration, self-direction, and self-actualization. So you only have to look so far at just observing some things. I mean, if you're deeply affected by criticism, for example, if that really bothers you, then you have to say to yourself, why am I being bothered by this criticism of other people? Well, the reason it's bothering you is because you have set up this motivator within yourself that I'm going to meet the expectation of other people. And if they criticize me, obviously it's the opposite of approval. And I want approval. Well, now I'm getting criticism. So now I'm deeply affected by that. Where a person who's more inspired and more directed by their own beliefs, values, and principles, the criticism just rolls off their back. It just doesn't seem to go into their soul or into their being, and they don't react to it in any way, because what that person thinks of me is none of my business, because they've made a decision that I'm responsible for my business. That's my inspiration. They are not responsible for my business, so their criticism of me is irrelevant. Well, that's an easy thing to say. It's a tough thing to do. How do you feel about that particular transition point that a person can make to go from being affected by criticism to allowing the criticism by others just roll off their back? Yeah, if you are secure in your beliefs and you trust that your values are good and you're living a life of principle, then it seems like any unworthy criticism is really going to just blow over. It's not going to land. It's not going to ruffle your feathers. But I think a wise person obviously fields all forms of feedback. But, you know, a person who is approval-driven and motivation-driven might not have the same resilience to certain forms of criticism. Is that kind of what you're getting For sure. at? Yeah, because I see it all the time. I work with people and some people will hear a criticism that comes their way and they just get tense, they get frustrated, they shrink in posture, they might even tear up, they might get mad, they might start gossiping and saying bad things about the person. And another person just says, hey, you know, obviously you have a point you want to make, Tell me what you're trying to say. What can we do to work better? My goal is to do this. What is your goal? And start having a conversation about it because the person that's inspired inside is clear about their directions. And the criticism of another person just doesn't go anywhere. But they can say, nah, take it or leave it. And they walk away from it. But if they have a relationship with a person, then it's time to say, all right, I have a relationship with a person. I want to have a relationship with this person. So maybe this is the time to be curious. 
and say, tell me more what you're trying to achieve by saying that to me. Right. Well, then the person is put on the spot. Well, I think it should be done this way. Who gave you permission and authority to shoot on me? You know, I don't shoot on you, and I don't appreciate it being shoot on. So, you know, yeah, I, you're not my parent. My parents shoot on me. My teachers shoot on me. But now that I'm an adult, I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's going to do that. And I want to work with people who are going to do that to me. So you're taking responsibility for that. But by challenging that, once you understand what their motivation is and what the, why they're saying what they're saying, but the fact that you let it come into you, that's your call. Expectations have power over you because you give them power. When you see them for what they are, that's different. Now you can respond accordingly. Now, if it's an agreement-based relationship, oh, then it's a little there different. There you go. That's exactly what I was going to bring up was that agreement-based relationship thing. It seems that if the shooting is already drawn up in an agreement, then it's to be expected. Yes. And, you know, it's, like, it's like if someone comes to you and says, hey, Listen, I want to make a pact with you. If you ever see me mess something up over here in this part of our job, tell me about it. Yeah. Right? That's an agreement. And, and it takes someone who is truly inspired to do their best job mm-hmm. to go to someone and say, hey, I'm trying to do my very best job here. Tell me if I'm messing up. I'll be ready to receive it. Maybe a caveat would be if we're in the thick of it, and everybody's stressed out, maybe don't bring it up then. But maybe later on, tell me in a cool state, what did you see me do? And do you think there's a way that I could do it differently that would be healthier, more effective, whatever? And that's drawing up an agreement. Yeah, and that was very wisely said, Brian, because once you make up the agreement to the person and you give them permission to give you feedback, not in a hot state, like you said, give me that feedback at the end of the day or give me that feedback the next day. I don't necessarily need to hear it in the heat of the moment. However, I do want to hear it. And please give that to me at the appropriate time. And that's an agreement that you're making with the person. This is where I think agreement-based relationships are kind of touchy and can be dangerous. And that's that when you and I make an agreement, Brian, to do something like you said, hey, if you see me mess up something that's that's affecting our ability to achieve our goal as a business or to have the kind of effect on this customer that we want to have, please bring it up to me and, and let me know so I can do better next time. What some people do when you give them permission to do that, they then think they have permission to lay it on you just about any other time. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> that doesn't work. And no. so when it goes, I call it agreement-based relationships work very well as long as you stay within bounds. Yeah. If you're if you're not in, on the soccer field and you go out of bounds, and then you start having a conversation on the sideline different than what you were doing in the field of play, that's different. So if I start criticizing you for your marriage or criticizing your political view, or if I start criticizing the way you handle the situation out at lunch, now. I didn't give you permission for that. You know, yeah, that's so, not in the bounds of the original agreement. No. And I think it's very important because I want everyone to hear expectations are powerful motivators because we give them power. So 
so if I give my boss the power, and obviously I do when I come in and, and decide to work for him, as long as he stays within the confines of the agreement of our work relationship, I'm all in. As soon as he decides to give me some feedback about something in my personal life, then maybe I'm not all in. And that's a different yeah. situation. So I think it's important that we just recognize that. So it's understanding that are we back into being a kid again? Am I back into you approving of me and praising me and, and criticizing me when you don't agree with me because of your own beliefs, values, and principles? That's high schoolish. That's when I was a kid. Now that I have autonomy and I'm an adult person, I want the respect that I need to have in this relationship. And I'm going to give you that respect and courtesy. And then we can have a dialogue about things that come up within the agreement-based relationships that we can sort out. You know, another thing is sometimes we are not sure if this is within the bounds of the playing field. And so we say, you know, I've noticed some things, Brian. And I notice when you're with the kids, I, I've observed some responses I'm watching in the kids. And would you be interested in having me give you feedback about what I've seen? You have a choice. No, Dad. Yeah. Hey, no, I'm good. Or tell me more about that. I, yeah, I am interested. So now you've given me permission to do that. My daughter was raising her young boy. And about the time she he was two years old, two and a half years old, she ran, ran into some challenges, as we all do with two and a half year olds. And she came up to me and said, Dad, I want to ask you something. If you see me do something to my children that you feel might hinder them in the long run and may not be in their best interest, I would really like it if you would point it out to me. Because it could be a blind spot for me, and I would like to hear from you if there's something that you're noticing. Now, I said to her, I was surprised, first of all, that she said it. So that was an invitation for me to give her feedback. In other words, she was wanting to establish an agreement that I was going to have some role in partnering, raising her kids. So I said, well, how would you like me to present that to you? Because I didn't want to be in a situation where this is a setup for failure, because now I'm going to start doing that and then she'll be mad at me. So how would you like me to do it? And she get told me specifically how she wanted me to do it. And I said, okay, I can do that. Now, in the eight years she told me to do that, I think I've approached her five times, six times on things. This isn't something I've approached her on every week or every weekend. You know, I've been very, very careful and very selective in my suggestions. And it's gone really, really well because a potentially uh, one of the things as I think as an adult, and I think many of the listeners who are adults, they say, I just can't talk to my adult children. You know, I try to tell them this or they start telling me I'm so upset with because my daughter's doing this. My 40 year old daughter's doing this. I'm upset my 35 year old son's doing that. And they get all worked up about it. And I just can't talk to them and stuff. I try to talk to them and it just doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't because you haven't set up the agreement for that to be successful. And I think that's really a big piece of this thing, because as long as you have an adult child at 30 and 40 years old that still sees you as the authority figure, still sees you as a person placing expectations on them, they're going to reject it. 
partly because you did something three weeks ago that they praised you for and said, oh, I'm so proud of you. That was really great. Well, that's okay. Thanks, mom. Thanks, dad, for giving that to me. But now what am I going to do three weeks from now that you're going to criticize me for? So you got to be careful that when, uh, as parents, that we do that to our adult children, we continue to perpetuate this approval addiction, this expectation, this whipping carrots. I may tell you when you're doing well, but I'm certainly going to point out when you do something that I don't like or I, don't, I think is wrong. And that's tough. And I think you have to win the confidence back of your adult children that they are autonomous. And you do that by asking them questions. I've always asked you questions, Brian. I've said to you when something happens that I maybe wondered about and became curious about, which I used to be able to criticize you for, I or give you different direction. I would say, Brian, tell me more about what you're doing here. And we would start having a conversation. And you started to sense that I was giving you autonomy. I was allowing you to express your core beliefs, values, and principles so we could have a discussion about it, not for me to drop my bomb onto you and say, this is what I think you should do. These are my beliefs, values, and principles, and we're going to start arguing about that. You know, that doesn't get you anywhere, right? Right. So you had a thought. Yeah, this is that whole, if you love something, set it free, right? Yeah. Kind of. I feel like we've really arrived somewhere here because this goes all the way back to how your brother was responding to his personal history with the way he raised his children and just the absolute refusal to draw up a reasonable agreement. And it's like, hey, no, I'm the parent. I'm the authority. I drop the agreement and you do what I tell you. And it's like, okay, until they're 10 years old, maybe. But then they start really developing, for real. They start becoming a little person. And they have their own personality, and they have their own curiosities. And it's different. What you're talking about here really is a big deal. I mean... In a fraught relationship, I would say the themes are going to relate to boundaries being violated and miscommunication or poor communication. The ability for two people to sit down and make an agreement, draw up clear boundaries, and say, hey, this is how we're going to love each other, okay? This is how we're going to be in relationship." whether it's a marriage, whether it's siblings, whether it's parents and children, whether it's coworkers, whether it's just a casual friendship, you have to be mindful and vocal about your boundaries. And that's all part of the agreement. And it serves the purpose of, hey, you're doing the best you can with where you are, and I'm doing the best I can with where I'm at. And you have the right to be you And I have the right to be me. And instead of trying to control each other with whips and carrots, let's have an agreement that gives you maximum autonomy and me maximum autonomy. And when we're together, either work is going to be getting done or we're going to have a good time as 
family or we're going to have a good time as friends. And all of that becomes possible because we're communicating about our boundaries. We're communicating about who we want to be and our desires, our freedoms that we want to enjoy. And it all goes back to this idea of, you know, having agreements in the relationship and being able to talk about them. Yes. I think another checking in point that we can all do when we say to ourselves, you know, what's really at the core of what causes me to do what I do? What motivates me? When I get up in the morning and put my feet on the ground, what causes me to move forward? What causes me to do the things I do in a relationship or at work and all of those things? I think you just have to look at what you're saying to yourself. And it may actually be what you're saying out loud. And if much of your conversation, internal dialogue and external dialogue, begins with I should, begins with I have to, begins with I'm supposed to, begins with I'll try to, begins with I wish that, when your sentences that you say to yourself and to others out loud and inside begin with those kinds of prefaces, you are an externally motivated person. There's not a lot of conviction in those prefaces. Yeah. And not personal conviction. I need to is one that says, I need to meet the expectation of a person. That's another one. That could be a conviction of needing to meet with the approval of my boss, needing to meet the approval of my parent, needing to meet the approval of my friends. That can be more of a convicted comment. However, when you are more inspired and you operate more on intrinsic motivation coming from within you, you start your sentences and your thoughts that you have in your mind, you'll say, I get to, not I have to, I get to. That's just a huge, huge difference. In other words, I will means I am now going to place intention. I will do this. That's placing a personal intention on something that you just said or are about to say. And the other is I am. When you have this, I get to, I will, and I am prefaces, there's a personal held conviction that you are now making. It is a commitment to yourself. It's a public declaration to others. And people hear that and they say, ah, that's coming from their intrinsic motivation. I am, I will, I get to. That's a different relationship that you have. So one of the things I listen to very much when I'm processing my relationship with a person that comes into my life on a daily basis, which are patients that come into the office, I really am listening to these words. If they say, you know, I need to, I should, I know I should, I know I should take better care of my teeth, I know I should brush my teeth more, I know I should floss my teeth more. And I I listen to just the first two words or three words that come out of their mouth, and I already know where their motivation is. Where if I'm hearing now, I get to, I want, I will, I am, now I'm getting to a different place where the person is motivated. Because if I pay attention to the I have to and I'll try to, I'll say, well, okay, we'll see what happens here. How many times have you had in your life where a person says to you, I will try to, and you say to yourself, well, we'll see how that goes, or 
maybe, maybe not, likely not. So when you hear someone say, I will try to, or I hope to, you're just not sure it's going to happen. Where, but you have a person says, I'm going to, I'm, I will, and I am. This is who I am as a person. This is who I intend to be. And this is what I'm going to do. That's a different statement. And that's huge. So I think you really can govern yourself when you talked about this. This is a tough transition to make, Brian. This is a tough thing to transcend this old extrinsic motivation to intrinsic motivation. However, there is some things you can govern and you can have some effect on in just listening to some of these conversations we're having and start applying this to your life. It doesn't happen overnight, but when you start applying it to your life, it happens throughout your life. And you get to a place now where you've transcended this old self where you were meeting the expectations of everybody else to a place where now you're inspired and self-directed and autonomous and authentic. Huge differences. Any thoughts? I think it's really an incredible concept to ponder. You know, you made all this up. (laughs) It seems like sometimes. But it really is useful. It makes a lot of sense. Now, I know that you have taken from a lot of different resources over your life. You're well-read. You know a lot of interesting people. You have an incredible support group in your family and your friends and your colleagues that you work with. And you've also met some coaches and some thought leaders in your life that really gave you different missing pieces. The way that you've assembled all of these concepts, can really shepherd a person's thought into a whole new place of living life from their own spirit, from within, where they are doing what they do from a place of deep love and self-esteem, and they're inspired, and they're creative, and... It's a long journey to get to this point, but you're saying, hey, try a mindset of accepting other people. Try a mindset of humble curiosity. Try this mindset of finding joy in other people and affirming them for their character and not getting hung up on the way that you want them to be. And you... Try these things on with some of the precepts that have been mentioned over episodes. And I really think that you can arrive at quite a new perspective on life, which is more than before. It's more fulfilling to you and it's more fulfilling to the other people in your life. Yes. And when you say fulfillment, what does that contain? It's the feeling that you have inside. It's an emotion. It's a calmness that you have for yourself. You feel authentic and real. You feel like that realness now you can give to everybody else because you feel real. When we can look at another person and totally unconditionally accept them just the way they are, 
knowing that they're on a personal journey themselves, similar to the personal journey you've been on over the last 10 years or 20 or 30 or 450. And now you can then model to them, show them a way to have those kinds of fulfilling experiences in their life where they're not depending on what other people think of them. They're not meeting the expectations of other people unless they've set those expectations themselves. See, that's where you have control and authority over your life. And it's a mm. get to, I will, I am, and I get to make a difference in someone else's life. I get to make a difference in my grandchild's life because of the relationship I had with my daughter and because of the relationship I had with you. And that's a more fulfilling feeling than talking to my wife and complaining about how they aren't doing this and they aren't doing this. They should do this and they should do that. I don't have to do that. I just have to have a conversation with you. And that's what we're having here. And it's been a very inspiring for me to watch you curiously process through this material, much of the time being the devil's advocate, much of the time resisting it initially. However, seeing the sequencing of these things and how they could be beneficial to yourself and others and how they can be beneficial to your kids. So for me, I appreciate you saying what you've said, Brian, about putting this together because it has been a gift that's been given me over time. And it's a gift that's now being given to you and to everyone else listening. But like all gifts, we have to accept them for them to have influence in our lives. That's my goal, is to have influence here where you can then make these decisions yourself and incorporate some of these things in your life and in the life of the people you love. That's my goal, Brian. And, you know, we need to wrap up with this call right now, kind of running up on time. So I want to thank you, Brian, for being a part of this podcast again. And we're going to get into another dichotomy as it relates to this next week. So tune in again. So, Brian, thank you. Say goodbye. Thank you. uh, Yeah. And have a great week. And join us next week for Ride the Elephant Today. Thank you. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. 